We've all become God's madmen. Welcome to another episode of God's Mad Men. I am your host, John Pruitt. And today I'm joined by none other than Lee Gulledge himself. Say something, Lee. In the house. <laughs> and we got a very special guest with us this evening. My lovely wife, Amanda Pruitt. What's up, guys? She said, you know, it's God's Mad Men. So I, I'm... I can't be on the show because I'm a woman. I was like, no. <laughs> She's the bra- brains behind this whole operation. Yeah. I said, it's mad men as in inclusive men, like mankind. A man, a woman. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, got her on tonight because back in early December, we went on a little weekend getaway and we decided to visit a Roman Catholic church. Matter of fact, it was a Roman Catholic cathedral. Um, and so I thought it'd be fun if we kind of just did like a debriefing of what we experienced and talk about what was discussed there and some things that we noticed during that, kind of recap the service and go through the bulletin that was out. Um, and then talk about what the focus of the message of the priest, or it was the bishop that was actually speaking this Sunday, that particular Sunday. Um, we went during Advent in the Christmas season there, so that was part of it. And their main uh, topic for this service was the importance of confession. And so I thought well, we would kind of talk about the Roman Catholics teaching on confession um, while we were doing this so you know i thought it'd make a fun episode and i know a lot of people are curious a lot of protestants may be curious uh more about the roman catholic church and so i thought it'd be a fun little episode for us to throw together so so we're going to dive into it and i got lee here with us too to just kind of help guide us through some stuff and you know talk about the theology a little bit so we're going to go through it and i'm not going to mention where we exactly we went um but it was a very predominant, very beautiful uh, cathedral that we went to. And uh, we went to a historic town, and we were that evening on, when we went, we, uh, we visited around all the old churches. It's something I like to do. We like history and, yeah. you know, like to see the old churches and everything. And, and we came across the cathedral, and I said, oh, you know, I've been wanting to go to a Roman Catholic church because I've been studying them and their doctrine and and things about Roman Catholicism for years. And it was nice to just say, you know, well, I can actually say I've been to mass, you know, what they call mass is their services. Um, And we'll get more into that anyway, for those who may not know, but I said, it'd be fun to go to that so that, you know, I can say I've actually experienced it firsthand. Kind of gives you a little bit more understanding of things and kind of helps you understand things from different perspectives. So I wanted to, share this with you guys. And, and I want to say this as a disclaimer from the very beginning, I would not encourage your average church person to go visit a Roman Catholic church. And the reason I would say that is because if you're not well grounded and standing firm theologically, you may get caught up in some things there and get caught up into Roman Catholicism. 
and right. uh, become a Roman Catholic. So I, I would say only if you're someone who is very familiar with the scriptures and firm in your foundation and firm on what you know and believe theologically, not just knowing the Bible, but know what you know theologically so that you could dispute a Roman Catholic to some extent, not a professional stake or anything, but know enough to say, well, hey, I know what you're saying there is not biblical. Um, if you can't do that, then I would highly recommend you do not visit one of these churches. Now, you may be saying, well, what kind of Protestant would want to visit that? Well, a madman like myself. Um, it's part of the leech, the, the the teaching aspect of it to learn more about it. And uh, there's, there's method to my madness, and there's reasons why I do that. But so anyway, moving on to that, uh, we'll start with kind of like a recap of the service and our initial thoughts coming out of that service. Now, I have here actually the bulletin for that day that they gave us as we came in. Now, again, this was during COVIDia, you know, COVID restrictions in place and all. Everybody had to wear a mask. And um, there were some things I noticed right off of the bat, as soon as we was coming in, that I, a, few, a few particular things that was alarming to me to begin with was, number one, Nobody had a Bible in their hand. As we was going into the cathedral, as we was sitting down, as we was noticing everything, nobody had a Bible. And I started to grab mine, and, and Amanda, what did you tell me? Yeah, I told you to leave yours in the car because I was like, we're definitely going to stand out as visitors if you tote your Bible in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm taking my Bible. And I was like, you yeah, know, well, okay. I'm turning not, over tables, too. <laughs> yeah. Trying to blend in. Trying to blend in a little bit. We had the, the advantage of the mask already, so uh, – and I was like, well, okay, she got a good point. Nobody else, but she noticed it too. We noticed everybody coming in, nobody had a Bible in their hand. So I'm like, okay. So anyway, we go in, we sit towards the back. Um, we get the bullets and we sit down. You know, we're there about 10 minutes early. And uh, and then it starts, and it's, it's pretty much as far as the service itself, it's pretty much if you've ever seen a movie that depicted it and you've never been to a Roman Catholic church, um, it's pretty much like you see in the movies. You know, they have the uh, the all the clergymen, I guess you would say, all the the guys coming down the center of the aisle. They got the incense and they're burning it, and they the guys carrying the cross, and they're all wearing robes and stuff like that. And um, they get towards the front and do some ceremonial type. I don't know what you would call it. I guess uh, ceremonies, <laughs> ceremonial ceremonies, and uh, just some ritual stuff. Rituals. You know? Music's playing. The organs are going. They got a nice choir going. Nothing's in Latin. They had know? a choir. Yeah, but okay. well, like you couldn't see them though. They were like behind us, behind the organ or something. Okay, but it was the men going. You know, doing the the oh, me high, yeah. more oh, of a chant. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Can't really understand what they were saying. Well, they they had the lyrics. It's right here. They, they weren't the singing lyrics, reckless so. love. Yeah, <laughs> they were singing out loud, and they uh, the the first song was actually in Latin. I said that there wasn't any, but there actually was. And then as they got into it, the the songs they were singing were actually English, but it was so drawn out and sounded in the form of Latin that it sounded like it was Latin. So anyway, mm -hmm. beside the point. But you go in; it's a beautiful cathedral. I mean, it's it's you know, stained glass windows. You know, just a beautiful painting on the ceiling with stars and stuff. Um, the statues and things of that nature. Um, 
you know, the whole shebang, marble floors, wooden pews, um, just very gorgeous cathedral as far as architecture. Right. Beautiful building. Um, so then they start going through their liturgy. Liturgy would be, for those of you who may not know, liturgy, every church has a liturgy, whether they know it or not, but liturgy is your order of service. Right. Um, they had a reading, a passage reading from Isaiah. Then uh, there was a response from the congregation that would read back as they read the, the text. So there was, you know, some biblical text being read. Mm-hmm. Um, then they do a song. Then there was another reading from First Corinthians. And then they would sing Alleluia. And then what I had marked here in the bulletin is, is gospel. But they read from Mark chapter 13. Um, then they said the Nicene Creed. Okay. Then they get into the liturgy of the Eucharist. And, you know, up until this point, it seemed like, you know, wasn't too bad. Maybe a little different, but a little different, but you somewhat typical. It can be, you know, seen in some Presbyterian churches, maybe. Yeah. Um, definitely in like Anglican or, you know, Minus the uh, ritual ceremony. Yeah. Um, but as far as a strict liturgy and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what then what happened as far as mass was concerned, Amanda? <laughs> She's shaking her head no. No, I don't want to talk about it. What, what happened with the mask? So anyway, what we would call communion. Okay. They would call mass slash communion and there was a uh a ritual performed to where you know they believe in roman catholicism that the the bread and the wine literally becomes the flesh and blood of christ right that's when we started hearing the little bells little yeah. angles in the background so what is that? <laughs> he was the 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 bishop would you know in most churches it would be the uh the priest but in this case the bishop Held up the the bread, said a prayer. He did, of course he used the incense over everything over the table where it was all prepared beforehand, and then he would hold up the bread. He said a little chant. He said a prayer, and a guy in front of him kneeled down and had a bell and would ching 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 ching. ching. <laughs> Apologize for those of you listening. <laughs> could could you do that again, please? Ching 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 ching. <laughs> to signify, and I was like, "What's the bell mean?" And well, he would ring we'll it three see. times. When so a, I'm saying, okay, that's for the Trinity. When a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. <laughs> Roman Harrison. <laughs> anyway, they would ring the bell, and, it, and they ring it three times. Did the same thing with the wine. And then when they actually partook of it, he rang it, or when he was the, the, the bishop was done with what he was doing. And the bell signified that a miracle was taking place. Right. And that it was turning from bread into flesh and turning from wine into blood. Transubstantiation. Yep. And then... Say that again. Transubstantiation. Thank you. And then, you know, there's a lot of up and downs. You know, a lot of... They got the kneeling pads that fold down from off the back of the pew so you can kneel down. And the whole congregation would say a prayer or say something back in response to what the bishop had said. And then they all went forward and partook of communion. So they come back, 
and I think it was actually before this, the yeah, when it was t- going through the gospel, the bishop would preached out of Mark, and he was um, talking about John the Baptist and how we should emulate John the Baptist. And then after communion, he was talking about the importance of confession. He gave a nice analogy. I ain't going to say nice analogy. But he gave an analogy of the nativity scene. They had a nice, beautiful nativity in there, life-size almost. And they only had certain pieces set out. And then every Sunday before Christmas, they would lay another piece out up until Christmas Eve. Then they put Jesus in the manger. Okay. And uh, he was talking about how good Catholics would do this at home and how they should take a straw of hay every night as a family and place it in the manger. And when you hold that piece of straw up, you reflect on your sins and you reflect on prayer and you lay it in that manger so that it will help support up Christ when he's born on that, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you put him in the manger. So that was kind of odd, but excuse me. So anyway, so we leave, you know, we're, we're going out and they, they offer up a little pamphlet and it says a pamphlet. If those may be curious, it's a, an examination of conscience, a conscience, a preparation for the sacraments of penance. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that in more detail here in a minute. But so initially, what was some of our thoughts coming out of this? You know, we, we got in the car and we actually recorded the video to get our initial thoughts. So I would, wouldn't forget some of those things. Right. And, uh, was there anything particular that stood out to you, Amanda, that we hadn't mentioned, or even if I've already talked about it, some some things that kind of stood out to you? Not that we hadn't mentioned already, but I think the thing that got me the most was the bells. I wasn't expecting that. Like, I knew they believed in that, but I just, that kind of threw me off. Mm-hmm. So that was very unique to me. Yeah. What, how did the service feel to you as a Protestant watching that? Kind of weird. Just because yeah. it's not something that I've been exposed to. Mm-hmm. I've never been to a Catholic Mass. Um, but kind of what I expected, because like you said, um, you know, what you see in the movies is pretty much what you get. It's pretty pretty true to how they do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, you know, there's a few observations I made. You know, number one, nobody had a Bible. Right. And then, you know, we were in a town that was pretty much known for tourism and as a college town as well. So I consider that as well, but there's close to 200 people in there easily. Okay. Yes. On a Sunday morning. And I would say majority of the people in the, the congregation were young families yes. and some college students. And maybe I would say 10, 20% at the most were older people. Okay. You know, people over the age of 40, let's put it that way. Um, but for majority of people, it was people under the age of 40, I would say would be a good guesstimation of that. Um, so they had the procession out of after the service and the, the bishop and the priest and all them stood outside as everybody came out. But I noticed also nobody was talking to them. Okay. They probably didn't feel worthy. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. 
But I started to say something to the bishop, and I'm like, well, nobody else is talking to him. And if he's that important of a guy, he was the bishop over all the Catholic churches in that area. Okay. I mean, it made an extension, a Roman Catholic church. And uh, I was like, that's kind of odd, too. That was, again, I have I don't know the significance behind that, but right. I just found that as an observation that just kind of stood out to me a little bit. Yeah, because as a Protestant, you know, trying to leave the church, everybody's got to talk to the pastor. That's right. You know, they got offended if the pastor didn't speak to them. So. Yeah, and uh, especially in the Baptist church. Everybody's got to talk to the preacher. Got to shake the preacher's hand. Tell me he had a good message. Right. Go on to getting the buffet line. Um. <laughs> Well, that was pre-COVID, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so there was that, and uh, let's see. That was the issue with the Bible. That was that really stood out to me in, in a lot of ways. They read a lot of texts, right? But again, they were telling you that's right what the text said, and I think it's very important for anybody in any religious faith that you should be testing what your leaders are saying about what to believe. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a reason that I take my Bible to church is so that I can test what my pastor is saying to the word of God. And that way I know if he's saying anything contradictory to that, I can say, wait a minute, that's not what this text is saying. Right. Um, then I can reprove correct for training in righteousness. Like Timothy says, um, so that was just kind of some of our initial thoughts off of the bat with it, uh, some observations that we made. It felt it offended your senses in a sense. Mm, I think that yeah. was a term you used yeah. man, in the in the initial thing. It it offended your senses to some capacity, um, because if anybody that you know, for those of you maybe listening, don't know anything about Roman Catholicism, they teach that the mass when you take the communion and the wine, that it's an ongoing atonement that of 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 Christ it's, a, it's another sacrifice that Jesus is coming down and sacrificing himself again right for you to take that and it's an act of um that you it's a work it's a it's an act of penance in a sense that you're taking this one of these sacraments they they have I think it's 12 different sacraments to where the Protestant church a sacrament will be baptism the Lord's Lord table Lord. and um well, that's similar or something else, wasn't there? Can't remember. Anyway, yep. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna blow up. Everybody's gonna blow up the comment section yeah. on this. Oh, you forgot this. But anyway, we we would say there's at least those two. Prayer. No, I mean that's not that prayer is not a sacrament. I it was. But anyway, uh, they they have twelve of them, you know, and part of that is taking the mass, and in a sense, it's a way to receive the atonement of Christ. Again, again, that you first get it when you're an infant and you're baptized into the church. Then this is what brings us to our discussion for today. They have what they call, um, well, the sacrament of penance. And confession is part of that, and that's what they focused in on in the little pamphlet that I received, an examination of conscience, uh, a preparation for the sacrament of penance is what it goes through. Um, so kind of just to break it down just a little bit here, um, confession is part of the Roman Catholic teaching of the sacrament of penance, which restores someone to salvation after committing a mortal sin. 
So basically, by definition, a mortal sin by the Roman Catholic Church would be violation of the Ten Commandments, for instance. Um, and then you have venial sins. Venial sins are the smaller sins that right. they would say they're not damning, but they're, you know, you told a little white lie right. or uh, you know, something small or minute. But then the mortal sins are you committed adultery or you took the Lord's name in vain or something along those lines. Um, and in this pamphlet, they kind of really break that down a lot when it comes to mortal sins. And we're not going to go through all that. I wanted to focus on the confession part um, of this sacrament of penance because this is what that they focused on that I heard a lot from this bishop that day and what's in this pamphlet here that I was able to read up on. Um, and I also went through the Roman Catech Roman Catholic Church Catechism. I have a copy of that as well, which is a very thick book of series of answers and questions, questions and answers um, when it comes to their doctrinal teachings. So anyway, they teach that after infant baptism, that you're saved once you're baptized, but that you must practice the sacrament of penance to maintain and or restore your salvation. That there are three parts to it. There's the first part is contrition, which means a person must be sorry for their sins. Okay. Um, as Protestants would say, that would be conviction. But this is all part of the act of the sacrament of penance, that there's contrition. A person must be sorry for their sins. Then number two is confession. You must confess to a priest of the Roman Catholic Church. Not a, not a fellow brother in Christ. Not any old priest or preacher or whatever, but a Roman Catholic priest. And then third, you have the works of satisfaction. It's a works of piety. I mean, piety is another fancy word for holiness. Um, but they they more precisely would say fasting, prayers, alms givings, or whatever they're instructed to do by the Roman Catholic Church or priest there. Um, so only until you reach satisfaction are you saved for the time being. And that's important to know there. It's, it's a continuization. It's an ongoing day after day, week after week of you, you got to go to mass. Okay. That's another sacrament. Yeah. You got to go to mass. You got to perform all these other 12 sacraments, but you got to go to mass and you have to, um, go through the sacrament of penance. You got to be sorry for your sins. You got to confess those sins to a priest so that here's the, here's the, the twist here. Cause you know, you hear, we talk about this and people are like, well, you know, I'm kind of going along with that, but the priest, you have to confess to him so that he can forgive you for your sins. There's where we got a big problem, big problem, big problem, but only to reach that satisfaction. Have you reached the point that you have been restored? But again, as soon as you commit a mortal sin, boom, you're back at square one. So therefore, that's why they, it's a continuization. They have mass. A lot of these are like the, the local uh, Roman Catholic Church here uh, out of my hometown. They have mass uh, three or four times a week. Um, sometimes they have it seven days a week. You know, every morning at 9 a.m. And then they have it on Saturday at different times and then on Sunday several times. 
uh, and it kind of fluctuates here and there, but they have it quite often for that reason. Um, so basically just for this one sacrament and you know, we may turn this into a series on God's mad men, a bonus episodes here and there and go through more about the Roman Catholic teaching. But basically they're saying that the work of Christ on the cross was not sufficient. That's where us Protestants have a problem with that. Right. Yes. Um, when the Bible clearly teaches us, such as in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice, so there's no more need for a sacrifice when it comes to mass. There's nothing that has to be done on our part. There's no sacrifice we have to make in a sense of earning our salvation because he did it and it's through his works and it's through Christ that we are saved. And so basically uh, a brief understanding of this is that the Roman Catholic church teaches that it's not by faith alone or by grace alone. They would say that it's grace, faith plus works. Right. Am yes. I the only one here? Hello. No, <laughs> we're here. We're here. <laughs> You're doing, you're doing so so good. We just I'm on a roll. So anyway, All right, well, let me jump in here. This I guess we're just gonna yeah. kind of free will here. So when you said um, in our notes here, they teach that after infant baptism you are saved, but that you must practice the sacrament of penance to maintain and/or restore salvation. Mm -hmm. um, and hey, man, this. You know, split churches and they fought it for since the Reformation 500 years now. But just a simple, my simple mind went straight to um, uh, Ephesians 2 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. I, and, and he didn't say faithfulness as it would be on our part, but the next, just by faith. So in the next part of the verse says, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So my mind went immediately to that. that the faith is a gift of God and and we're saved by by believing. Faith is faith is not an action necessarily at all. If you go back to Galatians three, it says, um, even so Abraham believed God. And that that was it. He believed God made a promise. And matter of fact, God put Abraham to sleep and made a covenant. We could that could be a rabbit trail, but God made a promise. And Abraham simply Abram simply believed it, and he was justified. That's what it says. Uh, it was reckoned to him as righteous. He was made right. He was justified before God by simply believing, not by his faithfulness, but by faith, just believing. That's yeah. right. All right, Eyes Open Ministries uh, is the website that you need to go to to learn more about the Bible itself. We have a lot of content for you, a lot of free uh, study tools and guides on there, the blog posts. Uh, it is the host for God's Mad Men. Um, so check out our website, eyesopenministries.org. And there, like I said, you can find everything you need. We're also on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. We put a lot of content out there as well. And then we have another podcast called the Eyes Open Ministries podcast. You can check that out to where we, Kind of go through right now we're going through a series on the attributes of god where you can expand your mind and knowing god a little bit better 
and what his word has to say about himself. Um, and also, we are partnered with Cornerstone Baptist Church of Hartsville, South Carolina. Uh, if you're in the Hartsville, South Carolina area, do check out Cornerstone Baptist Church. Most of the contributors at Isaac Ministries attend Cornerstone Baptist Church. You can check them out at cbchartsville.com. All right. So, so anyway, I know it took a little bit of time there going through what we experienced in Roman Catholic uh, Mass there, maybe a little bit too much time. But I wanted to go through this book a little bit on, on confession, you know, and the fact, and we've, we've heard of this Protestants, right? Oh, them Roman Catholics, man, they make you confess your sins to a priest. A priest can't forgive your sins, and it's right. But we need to understand a little bit more deeply about what that means when they say that. That's right. Um, but ultimately, we know when, as far as when it comes to confession, is that something we should be doing? Should we confess our sins to one another? Yes. Yes. But should we be confessing our sins to a priest to get forgiveness of those sins? That's the difference. Um, yeah, because God's Word clearly says that we are to confess our sins to God. Um, 1 John 1, 9 says, um, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, there's another thing in Matthew 9, very clear um, thing that you see there in throughout the Gospels, not just in Matthew 9, but the Pharisees got upset with Jesus for forgiving sins. Right. And they were saying, only God forgive, can forgive sins. Who does this man think he is? Right. Well, he was God. <laughs> Therefore, he can forgive sins, you know. Uh, so uh, you need to understand this. That's in Matthew 9. Amanda just quoted First John 1 and 9. Uh there's plenty of scripture on this text that can really bring you deeper into understanding this. And we encourage you to read your Bible, of course, and go deeper into it. Yeah, I think about Isaiah 40, 43, 25. I, even I, I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And that's, that's two parts to this because, of course, it's God that's doing it. He's saying, I'm, I, I'm the one that can, and I'm the one that does wipe away your sins. But right in the middle of that verse, something I love for my own sake, uh, mm. it, that sort of takes the focus off of us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with with different uh, denominations or whatever, the me-centered gospel, a lot of what we're talking about tonight, Roman Catholicism, all the focus is on the man. You know, it, it, everything's put back in the lap of the man to, to hold on to salvation, to maintain salvation. And just a simple little um, verse like this, God does all he does for his own sake, for his own yeah, glory exactly. is, the is the reason he does everything. Yeah, and that's uh, your theology is either what, Amanda? Let's see, I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, gosh. It is either, what's it centered on? There's either one or two ways there. It's either. Man-centered or Christ-centered. Yeah, that's Amen. it. Your theology is either man-centered or Christ-centered or God-centered. And it. If your theology is man-centered, focused on what man can do, mm -hmm. well then, hey, you're going against what Scripture is saying here, like Lee just read in Isaiah 43. Uh, who are we but a tidy peon mm -hmm. in the ultimate history of not only the world, 
but also in all of eternity, infinity, as in comparison to God. Exactly. Yes. You know, that God told Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of everything, when I marked out how the, where the oceans would end and, you know. Yeah, you know kind of put him put back in stars. his place. That's right. right. Uh, it's not about you. It's about God. The whole Bible is about Christ. And you're taking away the importance of what he did. Um. Because the Bible teaches that there's only one mediator between God and man. And that's Jesus Christ, right? Exactly right. That's what I was thinking while ago. There's uh say it's first Timothy two and five. Man, I pulled that up. Um for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Right. So that you know when it and it talks about uh being priests and stuff, it's talking about uh, believers are of a royal priesthood, right? That's uh first Peter two, five through nine. Um, so why would we need to go to a priest? And you, and you think about this, when you see Timothy and Titus talking about the qualifications for leadership in the church and stuff, it doesn't reference to them as priests, does it? No. Right. Elders, elders, yes. bishop, that's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, deacons. But nowhere is there priest. Why is that? Because it's important to keep your focus on Christ and not man. Right. Hebrews lays it out pretty nicely that Jesus is our high priest. Right. Right. He is now the high priest. He is after the order of Melchizedek. How are you going to say What do you think about the day that he was crucified in the temple? The veil was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing that access has now been opened. Right. You know, we could walk right into have that relationship with God ourselves. Yeah, there was no more need for somebody to take it there for us. Yeah. And inter- interesting fact, when they're done with the, the the Eucharist, the the bread and the wine there, they put it into a uh, tabernacle that's behind the, what we would call as Protestants, the pulpit area. Mm-hmm. They have like a, uh, in this church, they had like a stone replica of the ancient tabernacle and actually had like a, a temple veil that they moved back and put the sacrament or put not sacrament, but put the, the bread and wine behind that and close the curtain to it. Mm. And that's where it stays until next time when they do mass. Right. I mean, Um, it's so much like they're still back in the old Testament. It's like the new Testament's never happened or something. Right. Yeah. And I know as we're, um, as we're talking through this, I went back to Galatians, like Paul was saying, what are you doing? You're going back. You know, Mm -hmm. you you started out in the spirit. Are you now being perfected in the flesh? (laughs) Or basically saying, are your works going to, um, are your works going to produce the righteousness that God requires? Yeah. So let me just take you through some highlighted sections out of this pamphlet that I got. Um, it's a little booklet, like I said, it's like thirty little pages, but all together could probably fit on two full size pages. Um, Don't forget, they're good stocking stuffers. They're good stocking stuffers. The bishop said to take them home and give to your family. And- <laughs> I, I should have grabbed like a handful of them, just number one, so other people wouldn't get them. Oh wow! <laughs> and number two, I could have gave to the to the guys here at EOM for study material. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I know a lot of people say, "Well, I wouldn't have that mess in my house." Well, if you you got a heretical nonsense stamp like me, you can stamp it for <laughs> that. So it's for research purposes only. Um. Shout out to Reform Sage. They sell them there. You can find them there. Anyway, <laughs> reformsage.com. That's it. Um. So the first section here, when you open up the pamphlet, 
And let's see, I'll give the author credit here. The text is by Friar Robert Alter. Um, he wrote it in 2002. Um, so anyway, that's it. And it, and it starts out, why should I confess my sins to man? So they're addressing the issue. They know what the Protestants are going to say to begin with, right? Right. And it says here, and I'm just, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read some parts I have highlighted, which is hard to see in this light. But it says, on a supernatural level, we confess our sins to a priest because Jesus gave to his apostles the authority to forgive sins. Hmm. Hmm. And they reference, y'all get ready to turn, Matthew chapter 18 and John 20. One of y'all turn to Matthew 18, Amanda, and Lee turn to John 20. So let's look at this text that they say that Jesus gave his apostles the authority to forgive sins. What does Matthew 18 and 18 say? Man? Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Okay. Now, what is the, does the, does your Bible have the sub caption there of what that, sections about discipline and prayer discipline and place talking about church discipline now we can do a whole episode on that text right uh because there's a lot of protestant churches that get that text wrong as well uh the word of faith movement uh, yes. that, that Prosperity saying, gospel. yeah i'm gonna name it and claim it kind of deal that's not what that means either um what does john 20 21 through 23 say lee so jesus said to them again peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Hmm. Well, that don't sound like uh, he gave them the authority to forgive sins in the capacity of godhood does he no no or eternity no i've no. thought i've thought through this some and and hey i could be wrong myself but the idea i think behind it was he was giving them the command to go out and preach the gospel mm -hmm. and if you give somebody the gospel and they repent and show signs of repentance you can tell them you know what i mean i think mm -hmm. that's what he's telling his disciples you can give them that assurance that their sins have been forgiven you know, yeah. not authority that they, through the gospel, right, not right. through the themselves. gospel. Yeah. That's the key to it. Yeah, it's about assurance, not about for them forgiving. All right, so they stayed after this. Going back to the pamphlet, it says the apostles passed this authority on to their successors, the bishops, who in turn extended this authority to the priest. A priest cannot forgive something of which he is unaware, so the sin must be spoken to the priest. Priest didn't know I did it, man. <laughs> <laughs> how can he forgive it? Right. Now you think about how, uh, just well, a sidetrack here. Right. Think about how effective this was in medieval times. Yes. <laughs> when people couldn't read. When, when people couldn't read, number one. But in a small community, the priest knew the dirt on everybody in that community. That's right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And the church was the law. Right. The church was the government. And how wow. much they can take advantage of that. Yes. You know, oh, Lee. Yeah. You know, the church really could use uh, that new cult you have there. We, 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 need, we need it for the church. We, we need some uh, half of your harvest to help feed the hungry. Well, right. I don't want to give that. Well, it'd be a shame if your wife found out about the affair you were having. Right. right? Or, you know, it'd be, 
that they, they can really use I'm that to advantage. what I can. Yeah. So yeah. So just a, just a side note, how effective that would be as far as the church having control and yeah. authority there. I think we call it extortion today. Yeah. Blackmail. Blackmail. Um. So anyway, so they're right there just in that one sentence. A priest cannot forgive something which he is unaware. So right there, saying they're saying the priest gives the forgiveness for the sin. Yes. Not Christ. Right. Yeah. The priest does. And, um, and John, let me jump in. See how they yeah. went from, from Scripture, even if it was out of context. They started with Scripture and then went way off track because nowhere is that said, no. nowhere are we you no. know, told that the, about the priest doing this and that. So mm-hmm. that's, how, that's how false doctrine, false teachers, yep. just a little, they'll tell you 99 truths just so they can insert a lie. I think that yeah. was Verdi Balkan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it says, uh, it says, it goes on to say, we must remember that as members of the mystical body of Christ, when we sin, we offend not only the person against whom we sin, but also our Lord and his church, the mystical body. Now, mm-hmm. I, would, I would agree with we sin against the Lord. Yes. If I sin against Lee and I've committed a sin in, against him, not only have I offended Lee, I've offended God. Right. As you do one of these, you have done unto me. Right. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I offended the church. Right. Right. Now, there is church discipline. Mm-hmm. There is some things that says, you know, you should not, if you've got a problem with a brother, you should go to him with it. If you can't settle that dispute amongst yourselves, then you should take it before the, the, the congregation. Right. Um, but it's saying, for this reason, we need to be reconciled with the person whom we sinned against, with God and with the church. The priest in the confessional is a representative of both God and the church. Hence, this reconciliation comes through the ministry of the priest. So there they're saying, all right, there you you got to get forgiveness not only from God but from the church, and the right. priest represents both. So right. that's why you need to tell it to him, and that's why he has the authority to forgive. And there's so much truth and half truth mixed in with total lies that. If yeah. you're not reading and studying it for exactly yourself, right. you can just be totally soaked into That's it. That's right. All right, and then one little section, last section on this here. It says, uh, so what a joy it is for us to know when we leave the confessional, our sins are gone. We are restored to a state of grace, and our relationship with God is reconciled. Lines one, lying one head, one's head in bed and talking to God brings the hope that our sins are forgiven but not the knowledge that they are in fact gone. That's right. This assurance happens only in the confessional. Right. So there they just said, I can't have a conversation with God in prayer right. to okay. ask for forgiveness of my sins. I have to go into a confessional and have a priest do it. That's the exact opposite of what Amanda read earlier, First John 1, 9. Yes. Confess your sins to God, and he's faithful to forgive. Exactly. And that, was, that completely took that. We're taking God out of the equation. Exactly. They still want that middleman in there. Right. A a devout Roman Catholic wouldn't even confess his sins to God. Think about it. Right. He confesses them to to the priest, but not to God. Right. He's putting all the weight on the priest to take it to God for him, which was totally the purpose of Christ coming into the picture. So we eliminated that. Right. Exactly. Because man will fail you. Wow. So, and you know, um, it goes on. It talks about the loss of the sense of sin, uh, the forgiveness of sin through the sacrament of penance that we all pretty much discuss in detail here. Um, I have a question before we move on. Yeah. The so, I guess the menial people, 
um, have to go to the priest, like, what does the priest do when he makes a mistake or he has a confession to make? What does he do? Who's That's a good above, question. Who's goes, above him? I think the priest goes to his local bishop. Yeah. The local bishop goes to the cardinal, and the cardinal goes to the pope. Okay. Now, that's I, there's probably more details in there for that, yeah. but that's a basically a simple over chain of command kind of. Okay, it's in this. Uh, it's definitely in this 900 page catechism that I have here. If you want to read through it, mm -hmm. um, of the Roman Catholic Church. But anyway, back to the pamphlet. Uh, he says here. Let's see. Let me get back where I was at here. It goes back into the forgiveness of sins. He says, after we have received absolution in this sacrament, God looks down upon us and sees a soul without sin. When you walk out of the confessional, your sins are gone. So you are sinless at that point? You're, You're sinless at that point. At that point. In a, in a perfect Roman Catholic world, is you to die of a heart attack the moment you walk out of the confession booth. And you yeah. still go to purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> There's no winning with these people. <laughs> you still go to purgatory, and then eventually you get to go to heaven. Yeah. Maybe. People don't forget. Unless you're free. a saint. Um, and we could go deeper into this, guys. Yeah. But for time's sake, man, we already put about an hour in. Mm. But, you know, there's there's a lot more we can un. You know, the Roman Catholic Church is like onions. <laughs> To use a Shrek quote, <laughs> to peel there's back layers. The layers. <laughs> wow. There's layers, and they both stink. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, so let us know what your thoughts. Uh, any anything else you guys want to say here? I mean, we well, still got a few minutes. Let Let me ask you for the sake of this: what, um, Why did you want to do this? Why did we want to discuss this? Do we hate Roman Catholics? No, I don't hate. Roman. Not at all. Not at all. And uh, is it possible for a Roman Catholic to be saved? Yes. Now, that you know, a lot of people there would be a lot of dispute about this, but I would say yes. But I would also say that it would be very hard for me to say because I'm not going to judge it. But it would be or very hard you. for me to say that a very devout Roman Catholic who knows the text, knows the dogmas, knows uh, what the scriptures have to say, mm -hmm. I'd be very hard pressed to say they would be right. Um, but again, I'm not going to judge that. So it is possible for a Roman Catholic to be saved. I'm not saying it's a different um it is a different religion. Yeah. But it's not so different. They have they have Christ, they have they could put their faith in him and stuff, but there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot to unpack with this. And we we might turn this into a mini series outside of other episodes. We won't do like consecutive things. Maybe every other episode we'll we'll we might discuss this further. Um and you may be thinking, well, you know, I'm not a Roman Catholic and there's not any Roman Catholic churches around me. Like, for instance, in our hometown, there's only one Catholic church in the whole county. Mm -hmm. um, and that's pretty much how it is in our area of the United States uh, down here in the south. But when you, what I have discovered is the more you learn about Roman Catholicism and church history, you learn and understand more where a lot of other practices and heresies that's and things right. come out of this. Mm -hmm. And as far as you know, the reason I wanted to do this episode is so that people could see and learn from this and see, oh, wait a minute, you know, mm -hmm. this kind of makes sense in what my church is teaching. Right. They got it from Roman Catholicism. Right. And that is the case in a lot of Protestant churches. Mm -hmm. um, that is the case 
you know, the devil's going to play the same old lie over and over again. Right. History repeats itself because he 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 knows what tactics work. Right. And uh, he will use them again. So, you know, I think it's important for us to discuss as Protestants to understand the – it's good to understand the opposition. So it's also good so that if you know a Roman Catholic, guess what? You are arming yourself to be able to have a conversation with them and defend the faith and right. present the true gospel to them so that they may come to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, be knowledgeable about what you're talking about. And be right. knowledgeable, yes. Um, the worst thing you can do is pick an argument with somebody that you know nothing about. Right. Yes. <laughs> so um, better to be a, a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Mm -hmm. You need to be prepared, and you need to know your stuff. So anyway, let us know what you think. Shoot us some comments. You can go to eyesopenministries.org, and you can send us a message. You can send me a private message on Facebook or Instagram um, to any of the God's Mad Men or Eyes Open Ministries. Be happy to talk to you. If you'd like to know more and get some resources, we'll make those recommendations for you. And again, we have a lot of resources on our website at eyesopenministries.org. So check that out. Let us know what you think. Leave us a review. Um, share and like this content and help get the word out there for us. And we would be greatly appreciated. So I'm John Pruitt. Lee Gulledge. Amanda Pruitt. For God's Mad Men. Peace out.